You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Elijah took up Elijah's mantle and he headed back to the Jordan River. He had his mantle and I'm sure he wore it about him. And he struck the river. He called out, where is the God of Elijah? Why did he say this? Well, I believe he said it because he knew that the power for prophetic ministry didn't rest in the mantle. He knew that the power for a prophetic ministry that he was called to didn't rest in chariots of fire. He knew that the power of God rested in him alone and in his spirit. It's important to remember that for all of the talent you think you have, if you're going to be used by God, you must rely on God's spirit to empower you for the ministry. Pastor Dave's teaching today will remind you of this critical fact. You've probably seen people try to serve God in their own strength and watch them fail. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Kings chapter 2. As he begins his message, Elisha begins his ministry. Second Kings chapter 2. So we studied as Elijah was taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire. What a great study. I had a good time. His protege, Elisha, stayed with him until the very end. Would never leave his side. He stayed with them everywhere he went. You remember that even though Elijah told him to go away and not come, he stayed with him. He was very faithful to the end. Elisha had been chosen by God to replace Elijah. And Elisha would now be God's voice to the people. Remember, Elisha had this great big farm that when Elijah came by and put his mantle out there, Elisha followed him. And now, after they've been together, it was time for Elijah to be taken up into heaven. As they journeyed through Moab, through Bethel, through Jericho, all the prophets, the sons of the prophets, came out to Elisha and said, don't you know your master is going to be taken up today? And he said, I know. Be quiet. As they passed through Jericho and they came to the Jordan River, Elijah took his mantle and he hit the Jordan River and it opened up. And he and Elisha walked across on dry ground. Beautiful, beautiful picture. Finally, Elijah asked Elisha, what do you want? What do you want? Why are you keeping following me? Elisha said, I want a double portion of your spirit. I want to be your successor. I want a double portion of your spirit so I know God has called me and I want to do what you're doing, but only I want a double portion because I know the time is going to be tougher. The time is going to be greater. So I need more. I like that. Always wanting more of the Lord. I love that. That should be our call. We always should want more of the Lord, you know? Thank you, Lord, but I want more. Lord, we used to sing a song, more of you in my life, more love, more power. We used to sing that song where I want more of the Lord. We should never be satisfied with how much the Lord has given us. We always should want more because he has so much more to show us, so much more love to put upon us, so many more things for us to see. We shouldn't get complacent in him. We should always want more. I love it. This is not material I'm talking about, gang. 
I'm not talking about material possessions. We just should want more of his presence, more of his power, more of his love, so that we can share the love of Jesus Christ with others. And that's what it's about, sharing God's love with others. What do you want? I want your double portion of your spirit. I love that. Elijah said, well, you know, you're asking for a hard thing. Uh, Do you really know what you're asking for? And sometimes, you know, people who want to get in ministry, I need to ask them, do you really know what you're asking for? (laughs) You want to be in ministry? Do you really know what you're asking for? Pray about it for a while. But he said, if you stay with me till the end, we'll see. And Elisha stayed with Elijah till the end. And then all of a sudden, they're walking together and this chariot of fire comes and Elijah is taken up in the air in a whirlwind. Elisha cries out, my father, my father. That's what he thought of Elijah. My father, my father. The chariots of Israel, the horsemen and all that. Ripped his clothes apart. Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind. And as he was caught up, his mantle fell to the ground. Elijah went over and picked up the mantle. He received it. The mantle had been passed. Elijah took up Elijah's mantle and he headed back to the Jordan River. He had his mantle and I'm sure he wore it about him. And he struck the river and called out, where is the God of Elijah? Why did he say this? Well, I believe he said it because he knew that the power for prophetic ministry didn't rest in the mantle. He knew that the power for a prophetic ministry that he was called to didn't rest in chariots of fire. He knew that the power of God rested in him alone and in his spirit. Elisha wanted more of God in his life so that he could do the things that God had called him to do. And he knew that that was where the power was. It was the presence of the Almighty God through his spirit resting upon him. The Lord God of Elijah was also the Lord God of Elisha. Therefore, he wanted to inherit the same power, the same direction. The Lord God was with Elisha. Elisha comes to the same river that they had crossed. He takes the mantle, he strikes it, and the river opens up and the sons of the prophets cried out, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. It had been complete. The mantle had been passed, the succession of Elisha and the power, and he came to the office of Elijah, and it was apparent to others. Others saw that. Elisha didn't need to persuade or convince them with his words. God's blessing was on his actions enough to prove it. They saw the miracle and they believed. So now Elisha is established as a prophet. He's established in all of Israel and he's drawn attention of the people. People are starting to look at them. And it would be his faith that will put him in touch with the power of God. And it'll be his faith that will enable him to accomplish all the work that God has for him in Israel. The mantle had been passed. Now, I think it's extremely interesting that Elisha wanted a double portion. And if you count the miracles that Elijah did, there were about eight, they say. And if you count the miracles that Elisha does, 16. Double the amount. I think that's interesting. I I think that's very interesting. So the mantle had been passed. Elisha picked up the mantle. And he was now moving forward in his ministry. Elijah was with God the Father in heaven. But we will see him again. So as we continue on to the end of chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, we see that there's a problem with the city's water supply. In verse 19, it says, Then, um, chapter 2, verse 19. 
Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Please notice the situation of this city. It's pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground is barren. What city is, are they mentioning? Jericho, absolutely. They're talking about Jericho. Is it any wonder that the water is bad, that the ground is barren and won't give forth fruit? Is there any wonder why? Why would that possibly happen? What would cause something like that to happen to the city of Jericho? Oh, my Bible students. There was a curse on it from Joshua, absolutely. Jericho was not supposed to be rebuilt. Joshua had put a curse on it when he captured it back in, way back in Joshua 2 or 3 or 4. I forget where it is. Actually, it's 626. I have it right in front of me. <laughs> I wrote it right here. So there was a curse on the city. So no wonder there was a problem with the water. No wonder the ground was barren. So Elisha now is in control. And he asked for something very strange. He asked for salt. Let's look at verse 20. And he said, Elisha, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. The Jews at this time thought salt in the terms of God's covenant with them. You can find that in Numbers 18, verse 19. Where the covenant is like salt to them. And it also has a purity in their worship. Because in Leviticus 2.13, they poured salt on the sacrifice to make it better. To make it more savory to the Lord. They purified the offering with the salt. Elisha takes the bowl of salt. He throws it in the water and something happens to the water. Let's read 21 through 22. Then he went out to the source of the water and casted the salt in there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. I like that. The miracle didn't happen because Elisha was trying to impress the sons of the prophet. It didn't happen because he thought it would be a good idea. The miracle didn't happen because of the salt. It was the work of the Lord. It was the word from the Lord that he announced the healing of the water. There's a great, great thing very much like this way back in Exodus 15 that I would like to read to you these verses. In Exodus 15, the children of Israel come to Marah in Exodus 15. 15, and they come there and they want to drink, but they cannot because the water is bitter. And so let's read Exodus 15, 22 through 26. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went into the wilderness of Sur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah, which means bitter. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statue and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And he said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on which you have, I have brought you out of the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I love that. I am the Lord who heals you. What's his name? Jehovah Rapta. 
I am the God who heals. The God who heals you. So you see something very similar happening with Elisha and the salt. He throws the salt in the water and the water becomes drinkable, becomes non-bitter. This is a bone of contention in the entire time because when you read in Hebrews, when it says, do not harden your heart as you did in the day of the rebellion, the rebellion they're talking about, Exodus 15. When by hardness of their heart, they didn't enter into rest. They didn't believe God and God had to show them that. So here in the miracle of chapter 2 speaks of the new beginning. It's a new beginning for Israel, and it's a new beginning for Elisha. He emptied the salt from a new bowl. This reminded the people that the blessings of the Lord God Jehovah were for those who were loyal to him and his covenant. Remember, there was a blessing in obeying the Lord. There still is. There's a blessing in obeying the Lord. And the covenant that God made with them, I mean, look back. If I go back there, he says, listen to this covenant that he made. And listen to what the Lord says. And it's conditional because of the first word. If. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. That's the condition. If you will do this, then I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the God who heals you. It was a covenant. So this should have realized the people of Israel that this covenant still exists. Reminded the people that the Lord covenant is still exists if you're loyal to him. And according to Deuteronomy 28, if you disobey God, you forfeit the blessing. This was all relative. If you disobey God, you forfeit the blessing. So the water is healed. The land is healed. Elisha now wants to move on, and he wants to go to Bethel. And as he's going to Bethel, he comes across a bunch of Utes. Thank you for listening. Thank, thank you for listening. <laughs> Youths. <laughs> Anyhow, he comes across these guys. What this, this, guy, this story is crazy. Anyhow, verse 23. Then he, talking about Elisha, went up to Bethel, and as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. <laughs> So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears ran out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. Then he went there from Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. This is a strange story. This really is a strange story. There's 42 of this gang. These, these youths were anywhere between 12 and 30. That's what the word denotes, anywhere between 12 and 30. But they were responsible for their choices. They were responsible for their words, right? Elijah is going to Bethel. Now, we talked about Bethel, how important it was to the Israel, to the whole nation of Israel because of Abraham and Jacob at the time they spent there. But it was important to Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, because remember, one of the golden calves was still there. One of the golden calves that Jeroboam put in place was still there. So it was a great place of worship. So Elisha comes walking up there, and these guys come out, these Jews come out, and they see him, they start to mock him, they start to taunt him. Go up, bald head, go up, go up, bald head. They're telling him, go back to the Lord, just like your master Elijah did. We didn't like him, and we don't like you any better. Get out of here, go back up to the Lord. They're taunting him. 
If you think you're a man of God, why don't you just get out of here? Bald head. You bald head. In this culture, baldness was a disgrace. So if you called any grown man a bald head, it was a gross sign of disrespect. And if you repeat it several times, it made the offense even more. Go up, you bald head. These guys continue to mock him. I'm sure they were kind of dancing around him, calling him a bald head and all these kind of things. Elisha gets kind of ticked off. <laughs> he pronounces a curse on them in the name of the Lord. He says he pronounced it in the name of the Lord. And as he pronounces this, out of nowhere come two female bears. Now, I don't know why they have to be female. Maybe they're protecting their cubs. I don't know. But these two female bears come out, and they rip these guys apart. That's crazy. But see, why? Why did this happen? Why was Elijah so upset at these guys yelling at him? Because they called him bald? I don't think so. It was a violation of God's covenant to come against a man of God in the way that they did. You can read about that in Leviticus 26, 21. The result of coming against a man of God like this, according to Leviticus 26, 21 and 22, wild beasts would attack you. So be careful coming against men of God. <laughs> wild beasts will attack. Because these men showed no respect for either Elijah or Elisha as God's chosen prophets, well, they had to be judged. They had to be judged. They were mauled by two bears. Now, doesn't say they were killed, but I'm sure they had some scars to prove it. They were problems. So. so when you read through the Old Testament, you frequently see the Lord sending judgments at the beginning of a new period. It's as though God is issuing a warning to his people that the new beginning doesn't mean the old rules have changed. God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. The rules don't change. God is still on the throne, and he takes his covenant seriously. If you've accepted Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross, if you have believed that he died for your sins, if you believe that God raised him on the third day, you are saved. You are born again into a living hope. You have accepted the what? New covenant. God takes his covenant seriously. The rules haven't changed. You can't accept Jesus Christ and then go out and do anything you want. Go out and be crazy. Go out and do all kinds of things. No, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that will he reap. Sometimes we think that because we're forgiven, we can do whatever we please, but the rules don't change. So Elisha proves himself to be a worker of miracles, just like Elijah. Now all of a sudden the scene switches again and we come back to the kingdom of Israel and we come back to see again that Azahiah has died and his brother Joram became king of Israel. He also called Joram, Jehoram, J-H-O-R-A-M. Remember, but because Jehoshaphat's son was also named the same thing, they started calling this guy Joram. So Joram is the king of Israel. He is the brother of Azahiah. Azahiah was the son of Ahab, all right? So that means Joram is also a son of Ahab, right? Okay, let's look at verses 1 to 3 in chapter 3. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. 
He did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father or mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. So on one hand, you have this guy who is doing better than his parents, but not as good as some. He did good, but he did evil. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. He should have taken Israel back to God, but he didn't do that. Instead, he was doing evil. He was far from a godly man, even though he wasn't as evil as mom and dad. And remember, when we talked about it, when we studied it, Ahab and Jezebel were the worst. I mean, they were the worst that Israel had at that time. And they were by far really, really evil. And we read all about them as we studied the end of 1 Kings. He removed the image of Baal and even showed respect to Elisha. But he never removed the golden calves. He never removed the golden calves, remember, from the towns. He never took them away. And this would come back to haunt Israel later. Israel would be pulled back into the worship of Baal at a later date. So in verses 4 through 8, once again, the king of Moab takes advantage of the death of Ahab. Now, Mesha king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab repelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all of Israel. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, Which way shall we go? And he answered, By way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Moab, Mesha, comes up against Israel again because of the death of Ahab and the death of his son Ahaziah. Look at the tribute that Moab paid. This is one big tribute. A hundred thousand lambs and the wool of a hundred thousand rams? That's a hefty tribute that this guy's paying, but I'm not going to do it anymore. So when Jehoram becomes king, Misha again saw an opportunity. Would somebody tell me why Moab keeps coming back? Well, that's right, Esau. But what's the problem? What's the problem with all the kings before him? What was the problem with Joshua? And what was the problem with all the judges? What was the problem with all of the kings before Joram? What did they not do? They didn't get rid of Moab. <laughs> the Lord told them to get rid of them. The Lord told them to get away and move them out. But they didn't. They didn't kill the king. They allowed him to live and he got away. They keep coming back like a bad penny. Now, how does this apply to us? Does it? I think it does, folks. If you don't deal with the sin in your life, if you don't deal with it by confessing it and repenting and walking away from it, it's going to come back. You are Our time with you today has come to an end on a sure hope. But in our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue teaching through the book of 2 Kings. In the meantime, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. 
Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We gather each week for a time of worship and Bible study. Our service times are Sundays at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. Feel free to give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit assurehoperadio.com for directions and more details. If you prefer email, go ahead and email us with any questions at info at capewatchradio.com. You might be interested in knowing that for those who aren't able to come in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live and on YouTube Live. Just look for a link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of 2 Kings. We're looking forward to the next edition as Pastor Dave will share more from this Old Testament book about the rise and fall of many kings. There are lessons to be learned about leaders who were just people. May what you hear give you a sure hope. If rescued I-